about rediscovering the Sabbath day as it relates to the Old Covenant. So make sure you understand that what we're talking about today is the Sabbath as it relates to the Old Covenant. And then what we'll see is how it's aiming at and pointing to what you and I realize under the New Covenant, which we'll talk about next week. And then, of course, there's already a couple of auxiliary supplemental things on the end of that for the next few weeks as we talk about this today. So, seeking the old paths, rediscovering the Sabbath day as it relates to the old covenant. Now, again, I, I don't want to weary you, but the reason for the title is in the old paths comes from Jeremiah 6 and 18. The Lord says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But as we all know, the children of Israel did not find joy in those old paths, but they assumed new paths that resulted in idolatry in their life and a breaking of the covenant that God made with them there at Sinai. And to reiterate that, God says in chapter 18, Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense. So we see the cause for which they broke the covenant was because they had forgotten God. They forgot Him. And I find that word forgotten, uh, as each time I look at these, at these two sets of verses, as it relates to whatever we're talking about under the old paths, especially here is rediscovering the Sabbath, is we, forgot, we forget why we do what we do, even though we do it. It's, it's really easy to do that. But he says, They have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways. And that's... which we'll be looking about here in a minute. In Ezekiel, if you can imagine the, the very temple of God filled with idols, perverse idols and imagery all around. So they were still showing up to the temple of God, but they were serving other gods when they did. To us, that just sounds like the height of duplicity. How could they not even? But they had forgotten God. And that's what sin does. It often blinds us to the reality of our lives and what we, we allow ourselves to get into. That's what it does. That's the nature of deception. And it's caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in pathways and not on a highway. So, we don't want to be living in the pig trails of life, okay? We want to be on a highway. We want to be living where God is reigning supreme. We want to be living in a, in, a, in a way that glorifies Him in our everyday. And I have to say that as I've studied this, this idea of the Sabbath, this, this, this creation ordinance from Genesis chapter 2, I, I have never met or been engaged with such a topic that is so... Mm, complicated and complex in the life of the church. I would rather talk about any of the other doctrines, but this one is so 
hard because in the execution of the Sabbath is where people, Christians, begin to differ in their opinions. And also, I'm just going to tell you, my job isn't to tell you how to execute the Sabbath. So if you, I'm not going to give you a list of ten rules. That's not going to happen. We already have a list of ten commandments. I don't need to add more. And that's what got the, the, you know, the Jewish people in trouble and to begin with is because they just begin to add to stuff. So as we approach this issue of the Sabbath, I want us to remember, in all great matters of faith and practice, let us ask ourselves not what we can get away with, but rather what we can get away from and who we can get closer to. It's not about, well, I can do this and still be right with God. Don't ask that question, but rather, how do I get away from the world and closer to Jesus in my every day? That should be your driving question. That should be your, your main motivation. How can I live in such a way that distinguishes me from the rest of the world? Because honestly, that's what the Sabbath was about in part to the Jewish nation and their identity was they were to be a distinct and holy people. Taking one day in seven and dedicating it to God was weird. They didn't stop. Or, I mean, they stopped work. They stopped all of their energies and they focused on rest and they focused on the worship of God. That's what they did. And as a result of it, just from the nations around them, that was a very unusual thing to do. And we've forgotten that in our day. So, in the words of Gerhardus Voss again, we're not looking, and I'm not looking to communicate to you a view of the Sabbath that is bound in legalism. Far from it. Because legalism lacks a supreme sense of worship. It obeys, but it does not adore. So, I don't care. If you come here solely out of obligation and you go read out of obligation, and you pray out of obligation, trying to commend yourself to God that He should have favor on you, you've missed it by a mile. He wants your heart. And that's what, that's what our view of the Sabbath is about, and that's why God actually, actually gave it. So, in Exodus chapter 31, in honor of God and the reading of His Word, let's stand as we read. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 17. I did put it on the screen. It would be good if you have your Bibles. You might want to take a note of it there. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does not does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days. Oh, work shall be done for six days. But the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that in, that in the book of Hebrews it tells us clearly and plainly 
that the things that were written in the old are written there for our learning and our admonition. So, Lord, help us to understand through the insight and ministry of the Holy Spirit to apply this to our hearts, to rightly divide the word of truth, and so to leave here better equipped to identify as the holy nation of God on this side of the cross under the new covenant of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. From what I've been able to gather in looking at the Sabbath, and i got to tell you, I, I have never poured over a subject so much as this one. It is heavy and weighty and deep. What we know of the Sabbath entirely rests generally in the old, under the Old Covenant, or be, even before that, as we talked about in Genesis chapter 2, when in, in verse 3, when God created the world, six days He worked, and on the seventh day He rested and He hallowed it. Which is why we call it a creation ordinance. It was this, this notion of a recognition of the seventh day was part of what we saw in creation, and, and it was before the Mosaic Covenant. And then we go through and we get into Exodus 16 and we read about how the children of Israel are going through the desert and they're hungry and God feeds them with manna from, from heaven and they're to go out and gather it for six days, right? They were supposed to double it on the sixth day because on the seventh they weren't supposed to go do that and if, if they had, you know, of course, each day if it was left over, it would turn to worms. So they were only supposed to consume each day what they needed. But then on, 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 the, on Saturday or the sixth day, they were to gather double. And it was enough to sustain them on the seventh day. It did not turn to worms. So God preserved it for them. In case, in showing them that God is able to provide your need. Even though you're not giving it seven, you're giving it six. So he's giving them seven days worth of supply out of six days worth of labor, if you will. And of course, there's a whole bunch of other significance that goes with that. But inevitably, they tried God and they went out anyway. And uh, it was a prof- he said they profaned it. So this was before Exodus 20. This is before the Sinaitic Covenant was made, before the, the Decalogue was inscripturated. Now, the Ten Commandments, and you can't hardly understand the Sabbath without, understand, without understanding the Ten Commandments. I don't believe there's a person here who would say that the Ten Commandments are obsolete. I don't think there's anybody here who would say that. For one, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that the law of God is written on our hearts. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We talked about this last week. That's why we hide our sin. Okay, there's just something in us that understands those basic principles. So this was Exodus 16. This is before the Ten Commandments are actually inscripturated. But we also, like the Sabbath, understand that the Ten Commandments were before Moses got them on the mountain. They were there. They hadn't been written down yet, but they were there in practice and in, and in, and in play. So... The whole notion and idea that somehow, because of Jesus' sacrifice, the, 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 the recognition of the seventh day, the recognition of the moral law of God is abrogated, done away with, it is no more. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But it has changed a little bit in the employment of it. 
for example, if I do these things, and I have a printout of the Ten Commandments here, if I, if I, if I, if I think, say to myself, I'll just do the Ten Commandments and then I can go to heaven. Well, first, you go give it a good college try. Okay, you're, you're going to flub up somewhere. And second, we don't observe the Ten Commandments or, or esteem them as a way of commending ourselves to God on this side of the cross. We do so to glorify God on this side of the cross. We do it to be a distinct people. We try to employ them in our life to be a distinct people. And, and furthermore, they're not hard to have no other gods Okay, I don't bow down to a totem pole. But I might bow down to a paycheck. Oh, first one, I missed it right there. You know, because we realize when we get honest with ourselves that these, this moral law shows our dependency upon Christ. But at my heart, I don't want to serve another God. I hate blasphemy against the name of God. I hate the way He's ignored and overlooked in our culture today. I despise the way men and women use His name in vain, which just so happens to be the third commandment. I, I do love, if I still had my dad, I, I talk a lot about my dad, but I love my father. I respect him. don't really want to kill anybody and I don't really want to go have a inappropriate relationship with some other gal are you kidding me I'd rather have a motorcycle (laughs) I don't want to steal the motorcycle and I don't want to go tell lies about Travis and stuff okay Instead, I don't want to covet either. These are just common sense things. This isn't, you don't need great theology to understand. You don't have to go to the academy of great teachers to understand this. We know. Well, right smack dab in the middle of these, what they call the two tables of the law. The first four which by we, we do for God in interacting with God, and the last six we do to interact with each other, right sandwiched in the middle is this notion of the Sabbath day. And so we read about it in the Old Testament. Well, off of this moral law, God built the covenant with Israel as they were to be a special people in identity in action, and how they presented themselves to the world. They were to be distinct. And the Sabbath was the one that you got killed for if you violated it. We just read. Let's read again here. Exodus 31. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep for it is a sign A sign. That's simple. I don't have to pontificate on that. This is something 
that shows something else. And this something is that God made this day. God told us to do this. And it's a sign to us that God did this for us. And we are to be distinct in Him. Between me and you, He says, throughout your generations, that you may know the reason that I am the Lord who sanctifies you and sets you apart. So when we as Christians pause on the Lord's day, which we'll talk about next week, okay, we're being really odd too. Because, I mean, after all, who still goes to church on Sunday? Jesse was telling me, as she spent some time in Germany uh, and over in that area, that the businesses still close on Sunday, but no one knows why. She said they really just don't know why. They have no concept of why that is. And I wanted to say, Martin Luther! Okay, if you, how can you, but his house is a museum now, which illustrates that when a culture begins to abandon its founding values, those things become museums and new things become the celebration. That's why it creeps me out when I drive through Oregon and I see all the farm museums because I'm like, boy, when you get to the point where you think farming is a antiquated practice, you just wait, your belly gets, it really gets empty. Okay, you're going to want to go pull that stuff out and use it yourself. But if the Lord who sets us apart, you shall keep the Sabbath, you shall keep it. Therefore, it is holy to you because God said it's holy to me. Okay, and Jesus, Jesus did say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And you can better believe that he cared about that. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. We're talking about the economy of the Old Covenant. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off among his people. If you read your Bible, you understand that there was a guy who went out to gather firewood to bank a fire. And they caught him. And they killed him. And you're thinking, wow! Well, it was an arduous process to go gather the wood up and cut it down and stack and do all the stuff he was going to do to create his fire. But what it really was, was this. As part of the covenant people of God, all you can do what you want to, I'll do what I want to. Because I'm saying to you all, this guy is saying in his head, I don't care what God says. I'm going to go get wood, I'm going to build a fire, I'm going to do what I want to do. And he profaned the name of God. He profaned the Sabbath. He profaned the day that God set aside as holy. In essence, he put himself above God. And as we read on, God reminds them, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath of rest holy to the Lord. Now you'll notice in your Bible, in Exodus 31, this this section on the Sabbath law comes directly after the uh, issue, issuance of building the tabernacle, which was a big deal, right? And I think God was trying to say, don't even let building that think that it gives you license to profane the Sabbath day. Well, that can overlay to our day, can it not? Don't think for a second that you can just casually say, well, I have all these other things to do. Church is what you do when you got nothing better to do. It happens all the time. 
all the time. Let me just say again, I'm not here to lay down law for you. How we approach the Sabbath and how we, how we execute the observance of the Sabbath is, is going to be another message. But I'm saying the principle of what we need to be grabbing as far as the big things is the Lord sanctified the seventh day and made it holy. Jesus is my Sabbath rest and he said he's the Lord of the Sabbath. As Lord, he can do whatever he wants to with it. It's a gift to me in which I am to focus on him and rest in him and cease from my labors one day out of seven. How's my heart approach that? What does my view and my heart when I think of the Sabbath really say about me? Because whatever, it, whatever you come to is going to reflect on what you really think of God in Christ. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, there it goes again, you shall be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel should keep the Sabbath to observe it throughout their generations. And then he writes this, a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And then he goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, he did that in Exodus 22 when Moses was saying this. He always referred back to Genesis chapter 2 in the creation ordinance. All right, there's one more place in Ezekiel chapter 20, and then I'll get into the minutia. Uh, Ezekiel 20, verses 10 through 14, Therefore I made them... Now, this is when um, Israel's just... Things are coming unglued. The fire's falling, okay? Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. It's really important for us to see under the auspices of the Old Covenant... If they did this, and when God made the covenant with them, the Sabbath was so significant that he even said if they violate if he if he if they violated, he would withhold the rain from the land. Rainfall was dependent upon their viewing of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the land was going to have its rest. And of course, you can get into the year of Jubilee. There's so many festivals and feasts that are tied in with even the Sabbath to itself. But he says, if you do these things, you will live. Well, I want to live. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me. And they, that they might know that I am the Lord who, there it is again, sanctifies them. I just want to say something to you, Christian, on this side of the cross. The Lord, if you're in Christ, He is the Lord who sanctifies you. If, if, if you know Jesus, if you've been to Calvary's tree, if you've, if you've knelt in humility and repentance... And have come to know Jesus by experience. And have received the Holy Spirit of God. That seals you unto the day of redemption. It is the Lord. That sanctifies you better be careful. That was a run on sentence. You better be careful. How you live. Because you are to be a distinct. And holy people. Okay. And then he writes on and says. Yet, notice this, the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk within my statutes. 
and they despised my judgments. Do we see that today? We do. Which if a man, now notice this, God is so good to remind us of the good stuff. Which if a man does, he shall live by them, right? And they greatly defiled my Sabbath. Greatly defiled is big for messing up. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. The Sabbath was a sign. So I know this is small. This is really for my own benefit. But I like what one guy said. Nearly all of God's covenants had signs. The rainbow was the sign of the Noahic covenant. Don't ever begin to think it's the other thing. That is perverse right out of hell. It's blasphemy. It's heresy. It's all of those big theological terms for bad. Okay? The rainbow was a sign of the Noahic covenant. Circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And the Lord's Supper is the sign of the new covenant. By these things, when we do them or observe them, it's a sign that means this. Matthew Poole, an old Puritan commentator, wrote some things down, what he calls the Sabbath is a five-fold sign. Now, some of this is Old English, so bear with me. And then I took the liberty of adding some scriptures here to kind of illustrate the point on this side of the cross. Number one, Matthew Poole says the Sabbath is a five-fold sign in being in that it's commemorative. It's commemorative of God's creation of and dominion over them and all other things to whom they do hereby profess their subjection. So to the nation of Israel, it was commemorative that they owe their entire allegiance to Jesus. And I, I put down, I, I found First Peter uh, chapter 3. says this, 21 and 22. There is a, did I get that right? Please don't let me have messed up. Yeah, there is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers, having been made subject to Him. Everything is subject to Him. Everything. And I, I like how that works there. Number two, it's indicative, showing that they were made to be holy and that their sanctification can be had from none but from God as it here follows and from the observation of God's days and appointments. That made me think of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, which we read, "...who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works." but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And then thirdly, it's distinctive. The Sabbath is a, is a distinctive sign whereby they, owed, they owned themselves to be the Lord's peculiar people by a religious keeping of those Sabbaths which the rest of the world grossly neglected and profanely scoffed at. And again, if we go back over to 1 Peter, we see this fleshed out as well. I should have kept my thumb there, and I don't have to turn all that time. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9, 
But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we're distinctive too. And then number four, it's prefigurative. Prefigurative of that rest which Christ should purchase for them to wit, okay? A rest from the burden of the ceremonial and from the curses and rigors of the moral law as also from sin and the wrath of God forever. And we find this talked about in Hebrews chapter 4, in which case if you're familiar with that, simply reads, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear lest any of us seem to have come short of it. And if you read down through, you'll find in verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. When I come to Christ, I cease. So it's prefigurative. Christ is my rest. He is my Sabbath rest. And then finally, it's confirmative, both assuring them of God's goodwill to them And that as he blessed the Sabbath for their sakes, remember it's a gift to us, so he would bless them in the holy use of it with temporal, spiritual, and everlasting blessings. Remember we talked about the rain and the crops and all of those kinds of things. As he declares in many places of Scripture and assuring God of their standing to that covenant made between God and them so that it was... So that this was a mutual stipulation or ratification of the covenant of grace on both sides. So remember what they said in Exodus 19 when Moses is on the mountain. They said, all he says we will do. (laughs) And they said that and they confirmed it, right? And so the same thing can be said, though, interestingly enough, in Luke in chapter 22. You think you're looking at a lot of scripture. Well, what else is there to look at? So Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. When the hour had come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with them, and he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired, okay, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave it thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. And then he did the same thing with the bread. Take this. We too take part in affirming and ratifying as our part in that new covenant. That's what the Lord's Supper is a sign of. I'm joining in this new covenant. That's why we should be very careful how we take the Lord's Supper and not take it lightly. Well, just a few other things. Key to the verses we've read And key to always, it seems, in the Old Testament when regarding the Sabbath is this word, remember it. Remember. When Moses informs us the reason for the basis of the Sabbath in Exodus 20, he goes back to Genesis 2. And and this is really just a backward reference of don't forget for a future reference. Don't forget and look at this. Okay, And to remember the Sabbath, as it's stated in Exodus 20, is an admonition to think back to its origin. So, if you want to know why you're here on Sunday, you should just ask yourself, why do I do this? Why are you here? And where did it all start? And the magnificence of the picture unfolds before you.
of Jesus <laughs> fulfilling that. I don't get to just have a rest day. I get to rest in someone who saves me from a work that I could never attain. So the opposite of remember is obviously forget, right? S. Lewis, S. Lewis Johnson, I think, uh, is he said this, immorality, I'm sorry, immortality and uh, I, I spelt that wrong. Immorality in life proceeds from apostasy and doctrine. That's one of those big heavy ones, right? You grab onto it with both hands and you say, well, the immoral things that I see proceeding in life from culture is an apostasy from doctrine. Sound doctrine. I was reading first and second Peter. And the amount of times the word doctrine happened was just bam, 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 bam. And we've gotten to the point anymore in the church where we think that, that, that the word doctrine is somehow divisiveness. And yet the Bible's encouraging us to know what it is. Well, remember the Sabbath and where it come from. We are to keep it holy, not doing things as usual, but for certain sanctifying the day. Now I have a last quote here. Uh, from Ian Murray, and I like what he says. Rest is the operative term we always find with Sabbath also. Remember, keep it holy and rest. That seems to be the thing. Sanctify. A cessation from activity and the observance of external rites was never the essence of the fourth commandment. The idea that it was being a constant error among the Jews. A pause from the ordinary labors of life was always secondary to the primary spiritual object of the seventh day. The psalm designated for the seventh, the Sabbath day, Psalm 92, shows that the right observance of the day entails reflecting on the loving kindness, the faithfulness, and the uprightness of God. It is for delight in God. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord and rest in God. And we think, I want to do that. How do I do that? (laughs) Right? And that's where the wheels fall off of the unity wagon in the church. How do you do that is, is going to be the subject of next week. So, in keeping with this, let's just suffice to end with these hard comments. I think they are anyway. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That was the word under the Old Covenant. Keep it holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day. But enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's day. Mm. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. There's a lot can be developed there. But food for thought, have we even considered this? We even think about that. How how do I do that? Many professing Christians enjoy... Now, so just let let me 
I'm just reading here. Many professing Christians enjoy sports and television and secular books and magazines and recreation and hobbies and games. Here's the inference. Far more than they enjoy direct interaction with God in His Word or in worship or in reading Christian books or in meditative strolls. There's nothing wrong with wholesome things. There's everything wrong when wholesome things become the main thing. Make sense? Okay, so how you choose to do the Lord's Day is between you and God. But one thing's for certain. It is a distinct day. It is the Lord's Day. It is a holy day. It is a sanctified day. It doesn't end at noon. Because we don't know what to do after that. We, we're like, hey, it's just the Lord's day. And you're like, ooh. How do, well, now what do I do? Well, you can do whatever you want to do. You check the box. You're free. You can go do whatever it is. And no, you've missed it. You've missed it. There's blessing your, it's just, you've missed it. So therefore, inevitably, people whose hearts are set more on the pleasures of the world than on, than on the enjoyment of God will feel the Sabbath command as a burden, not a blessing. And this is what John says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God. I know right now you've probably got a litany of questions. Well, I plan on going to do this next weekend. I got a, some vacation. I'm going to go do this. You got vacation? Oh, go do that. And if you're out on Sunday, just remember, it's the Lord's day still. Now, what are you going to do about it? I can't get into telling you what to do about it. I wouldn't even try. But just remember it. Besides, it's not your normal thing. Here's what happens. Well, I did, you know, we took a vacation about 20 years ago and we missed church and been gone ever since. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's a, that's a testimony of a lot of people. You know, it just gets to begin to easier to miss and easier to miss. And next thing you know, it's, well, we go on Easter and Christmas and that makes up for it, you know. But it's, if you're here and your heart's not here, that makes no sense either, does it? So see, there's a lot here that we think about. So here's what I want to end us with today. Under the Old Covenant, it was a sign of distinctiveness from the nation of Israel to the, to the peoples around them. As believers in Christ, the Bible calls us the Israel of God, after all. We are to be a distinct and holy people to God. What do we do with this creation ordinance? How do we keep it holy? How do we do that? If you know Jesus, you're in a relationship with him, right? I have a relationship with Rich. I've had it for a long time. If I want to know what Rich thinks about something, I do something really unusual. I go talk to him, okay, in person. And I sit down and I say, hey, bud, um, what, do you, uh, what do you think about this? I do it all the time, actually. And we, we confer. If you know Jesus, go get alone and say, Lord, I've just learned something that I'm not sure that I'm keeping the Lord's day right. I don't want to keep it wrong. 
I don't want to become a legalist. I also don't want to slip all the way over there into license either. Can you show me how to do this? Show me how to do this. He'll begin to show you how to do this. All right? And it's not going to be a bulleted list. You want to know what the two main enemies are of righteousness? Legalism and license. Legalism and license. And right in the middle on the razor's edge is righteousness.